Chapter 73 The Enwrapped One Al-Muzammil In the name of God, the Most Compassionate, the Most Merciful. O you, Prophet, the Enwrapped One. Al-Muzammil, one of the earliest Meccan chapters, comprises twenty verses, nineteen of which were revealed during the fourth year of the prophetic mission. The last one was revealed eight years later. Following the initial short verses of two, three, or four words, the verses become longer as the chapter unfolds. The Hadith text reports that after receiving revelation in the cave of Hira, the Prophet who had lacked prior revelatory experience, became terrified and distressed. He hurriedly descended the mountain, sought refuge in his house, and, akin to one suffering from inflammation due to a high fever, asked his wife to cover him with a gown or blanket. Deeply preoccupied with his concerns, apprehensive and afraid, the revelation once again reverberated. O oh, you, the enwrapped one, stand up. Based on the occasion of revelation, real or imagined, related to this verse, he is addressed as O oh, the enwrapped one, to stress that those who are stalled by their own concerns and thus unable to realize their potential innate abilities have to open up in order to flourish and proclaim their message. Stand up at night, keep vigil, all but a small part of it. The imperative verb qum means rise up and stand. Rising up also means preparing oneself to carry out a task by facing the challenges at hand. Half of it, or a little less than that. Keep vigil for half of the night, or a little less. Or increase it, and recite the Quran in a measured pace and distinctly. Tartil means to recite the Quran with deliberation, contemplation, and in a measured manner which contradicts the practice of racing through the Qur'an, as some do during Ramadan, to earn more rewards. Many hadiths advise people to refrain from this practice, for reciting one verse slowly and with deliberation can be more impactful than reciting ten chapters quickly. This verse, revealed during the early years of his mission, enjoins him to spend part of the night awake and recite the Qur'an properly. In other words, he was to gradually develop his character to become more familiar with the divine teachings. But why did this have to occur in the middle of the night? Indeed, we shall charge you with a weighty word. Revelation began with two or three word phrases. However, 
as he would soon be entrusted with a weighty word, thaqilan, containing more elaborate verse groupings, he was instructed to strengthen his character and spirit so he could bear it. Truly, the vigil of the night is more impactful and most suitable for receptivity to the word. Nashia, from the same root of insha'a, means origination and come into existence. Here, it denotes that which could be originated at night as opposed to daytime, when there is less opportunity to concentrate. The vigil of the night indicates self-building, focusing on and establishing a relationship with God that originates at night and strengthens one's resolve. The idiomatic language employed here denotes that taking such steps will help the Prophet become more steadfast and strengthen his character so that he can take more resolute measures. Ashed means harder and more intense, indicates decisive individuals who rely only on God when making decisions. Those who are unwaveringly goal-oriented speak more measurably and make more balanced and deliberate decisions. They identify proper goals, stay focused, and reaches the truth. God builds the Prophet's character by commanding him to recite the Quran properly during the night to gradually become more familiar with the Book of Guidance for this will enlighten him step by step and help develop his character so that he can bear these weighty words. You are indeed very occupied during the day with worldly affairs. Sabhan, to swim, connotes movement. Most people are busy during the day and, amid the hustle and bustle of daily life, are preoccupied with their own activities. However, the middle of the night is an opportune time for getting up because most people are sleeping and silence blankets everything. So remember the name of your Lord and devote yourself to Him completely. Reciting the Quran made the Prophet more acquainted with the concept of lordship, rububiya. The injunction here is to remember, dhikr, the opposite of forgetfulness, nisyan, the Lord, rab, and not God, Allah. He is the sustainer, ruler, and provider of the world. Whereas some believe that God exists and created the world, they are oblivious of Him in their daily affairs. A majority of people may believe in God and divinity, but not in lordship. Consider Pharaoh, who imposed lordship on his subjects. They were aware that he shared their beliefs in their religious tradition and never asserted divinity. However, claim absolute authority and lordship over them. He demanded that they consider only his imperatives, 
even to the point of asking his permission in matters of the heart, such as embracing the new belief system mentioned by Moses. Tabtila means to cut off, denotes establishing a pure relationship with God and cutting oneself off from everything but Him. Devote yourself to Him completely connotes absolute devotion with no impure or polytheistic tendencies and emphasizes the intensity of relying only on Him. The Lord of the skies and earth denotes His Lordship, for Rab is the administrator and nurturer of this world. Thus, to know His Lord and realize who the Rab of the entire world is, the Prophet is instructed to focus his attention only on him during these night prayer sessions and always be mindful of him, for he is the Lord of the worlds. Lord of the East and the West, there is no God but him, so take him alone as your guardian. The Lord of the East and the West, the expanse from where the sun rises to where it sets, denotes the universality of God, the omnipresent Lord of the world who is devoid of favoritism and transcends human exclusionary traits such as nationality, ethnicity, and race. In the above phrase, there is no God but Him, the term Ilah is used instead of Rab to signify that there is no beloved but him. The phrase so take him implies that take him as your guardian, put your confidence and trust in him, let him take care of your affairs, and do not be afraid. Keeping a night vigil will help the Prophet strengthen his resolve and faith, as well as commit to relying only on him as his guardian. And endure what they say patiently and gracefully detach yourself from them. Those who trust and rely fully on God are neither hasty nor afraid. The Prophet is to be patient with polytheists rejectors, or challengers, and leave their affairs to God. He is advised not to quarrel with them and to keep his distance, hajara, to dissociate from them in the most gracious manner, jamila. This does not connote leaving and abandoning people, for then what would happen to the Prophet's mission in relation to them? Rather, it means not getting entangled or arguing with them in a rude manner. Instead, he is to continue delivering the message while letting others express their views. Conducting oneself in an antagonistic, abrasive manner while talking causes people to break apart in anger and hostility. On the other hand, Different views can be debated respectfully and graciously without resorting to disrespectful and insulting language.
if a relationship is bound to be broken, it is better to end it graciously. Leave to me to deal with the affluent ones who deny the truth. Bear with them for a little while. The imperative Verni, leave to me, instructs the Prophet not to interfere in God's plan, but to leave those wealthy people who reject him and call the Quran a lie alone. They are so strongly vested in class distinctions and privileges that they feel ashamed to associate with those beneath them and so reject the Prophet's words. The adjective Qalilan, for a little while, highlights this world's fleeting nature. Leave them alone in this world, give them respite for a while, and entrust their affairs to me. Indeed, with us are the fetters, a blazing fire. This is only a metaphor, for God does not physically put chains on their necks. Rather, fetters, and kal, refer to whatever tie people down and keep them captive. The verse does not state with me, but with us, for the latter signifies the laws and order that govern the world. Those who distance themselves from God become engrossed with other things and, in effect, shackle their limbs with chains of attachment and tether their spirit. These metaphors highlight that people can become so mired in their actions' consequences that they create their own hell by tormenting their conscience in this world and suffering the consequences of their deeds in the hereafter. Food that chokes and a painful punishment Their chosen path will entrap them in difficulties and cause their downfall. Enamored with worldly pleasures such as eating or drinking, in the hereafter they will suffer from a lump in their throat, ghussa. On the day when earth and the mountains will shake violently, and the mountains will become a heap of running sand. The verb terjufu, to be convulsed or tremble, implies an earthquake strong enough to shake our whole planet violently. Mountains will disintegrate into shifting sand when the gravity that holds them down no longer exists. They will break apart when the current world order changes. The Quran highlights these points to underline the fact that even mountains, often symbolizing might and majesty, will be pulverized. So what are you holding on to for protection, since the world you know will be reduced to powder? We have indeed sent you a messenger as a witness to you, just as we sent a messenger to Pharaoh. Some exegetes opine that shahid, witness, means observer, as if the Prophet is a teacher supervising and observing his students. While such an interpretation is valid elsewhere, in my opinion, 
However, Shahid's primary meaning is being a role model, one whose behavior is a template to be emulated. Thus, the Prophet is an exemplar for you, as was the messenger sent to Pharaoh. But Pharaoh disobeyed the messenger. So, we seized him with a stern grip. The Pharaoh's sin of Asian, disobedience, caused God to seize him. Once again, we, instead of I, is employed to denote that God, the angels, and his system of laws and order govern the world. Wabil, to shed heavy rain, means a heavy downpour, connoting that this seizing was so severe that Pharaoh and the others could not have escaped from its grip. Then, if you disbelieve, how will you guard yourselves on the day that will make children grey-haired? How will you protect yourself on that day? How would disbelievers who do not recognize these truths and consider their actions devoid of any consequences protect themselves? The day that will make children grey-haired stresses its immensity, similar to how some people's hair quickly turns grey when calamity befalls them. The Quran uses this analogy to signify that the hereafter is not a trivial matter because it is indicative of humanity's future life and eternal fate. The time when we become aware that we can no longer repent or make amends for our misdeeds. Imagine the disappointment of failing an entire academic year, knowing that the time and effort you expended cannot be recouped, and wondering how you could have let this happen. In the greater scheme of things, a wasted year may not be a decisive factor in one's life. However, the discussion here pertains to eternity. In that case, one will be consumed by unimaginable feelings of regret, sorrow, and loss. Therefore, the Quran questions how one could possibly bear such a distressing calamity. And the sky will be torn apart. His promise will certainly be fulfilled. Since God's promise is binding, when the day of resurrection occurs, the sky will be torn apart and the current world order will collapse. How can humans remain unaffected by and protect themselves from such a magnificent phenomenon? This is truly a reminder, so whoever wishes may take away to his Lord. Those yearning for a path to their Lord may choose one, for there is no compulsion. Moreover, these words, the Quran, and this chapter serve only as reminders. There are multiple paths that lead to the Lord, for people are endowed with different abilities and aptitudes. Some may choose to defend his cause in a defensive war, whereas others may offer their financial resources to further his cause, work on scientific endeavors, 
or attend to their family. Regardless, people should evaluate their resources realistically and, without choosing the path of least resistance, decide how they can be of service. This verse concludes the subject. Apparently, the following one was revealed about eight years later. O Prophet, your Lord knows that you sometimes spend nearly two-thirds of the night, sometimes one-half, sometimes one-third, as do some of your followers. God measures the division of night and day. He knows that you cannot keep count of it, so He has turned to you in mercy. So now recite as much of the Koran as you can. He knows that some among you are sick, that others are journeying throughout the land in quest of His bounty, and still others fighting in His way. Recite that which is easy for you. Establish the prayer. Give the alms, zakah, and lend unto God a goodly loan. Whatever good you send forth for your souls, you will find it with God later on, better and greater in reward. Seek His forgiveness, for He is most forgiving. Most merciful. Ta'ifa, followers, denotes a group of companions who had participated in the battles of Uhud and Badr, and whose characters have been developed by the Prophet, similar to Jesus' apostles or Moses' companions. They had emulated the Prophet's nightly vigils by reciting the Quran. God measures, yuqaddiru, the division of night and day, for he is aware that people need to rest and cannot keep all night vigils. Thus, he permits them to recite as much of the Quran as they can. He knows that sick people need to rest and cannot keep vigil for two-thirds of the night, that others may be traveling and thus unable to stay up most of the night. Still, others may be striving in God's cause on the battlefield and thus have no time for rest. Thus, once again, the Quran stresses, recite that which is easy for you. Considering that God is aware of humans' limitations, people are urged to evaluate their time and resources and, within that context, Recite the Qur'an as much as possible. The Qur'an instructs people to establish iqama, prayer, salah, which connotes continually turning to God and staying the course. And the purpose of giving alms, zakah, is to purify one's soul, just as a gardener prunes plants to help them grow better and gain vitality. The verse commands people to give God a goodly loan, even though He is the one who has bestowed infinite blessings on us. What kind of a person would do this? 
consider how befitting it would be to share part of what he has granted us with others. Thus, the imperative is to shear off some of our excess wealth and give it as a loan to others. Sending forth taqdim, denoting that virtuous deeds done during this life will remain noted with God in his system of law and order and that none will be overlooked. People and not God are the beneficiaries of their good deeds. Sending forth virtuous deeds is far more rewarding than accumulating wealth or aspiring to social or political positions and all other worldly blessings. This chapter concludes with the invocation, Seek His Forgiveness, connotes one's yearning to be purified. Seeking forgiveness is not merely parroting, O oh God forgive me, 70 times, using prayer beads. Rather, if this invocation is verbalized only once or even not at all while the seekers understand precisely what they are saying and yearning for, purification, then the condition for forgiveness is fulfilled. In this case, asking for forgiveness signifies one's willingness to become cleansed and begin moving toward perfection. Some exegetes believe the point of the concluding command is to remind people not to suppose that God owes them any favor for engaging in virtuous deeds, reciting the Quran day and night, and performing the night vigil. Rather, people should always seek forgiveness and never assume that they are better than others, for whatever they have is from God's unbounded favor. If they carry out virtuous deeds, it is only because God has granted them the capacity to do so. Otherwise, they would have been unable to accomplish anything beneficial. Therefore, we should seek God's forgiveness because He is Ghafur, most forgiving, and Rahim, most merciful.